Six seconds left, and then Chad. This has been a production of WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor. Evan right back to Matera. He will feed it to Cogliano. Cogliano puts a shot on, he scores! Andrew Cogliano at the top of the far faceoff circle risked a shot that I don't think Dominic McCary saw and beat them over the left shoulder. Wolverines with another power play goal. They are back in front, three to two. Navarre gives to Perry, Perry through the middle, touchdown Michigan, and the Wolverines have won it in overtime. Michigan wins by a score of 27 to 24, and the team storms the field to mob Chris Perry. WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor, WCBN.org. Grabs on to attempt it for the Wolverines. Holds her breath Ann Arbor as Navarre gets set. Places down, kick is up. It's long enough. It's good! It's good! Michigan wins the game! Michigan shocks Washington, and the Wolverines are victorious! Well, uh, good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And Michigan wins again. <laughs> well, I'll just have to do it in hockey this year. Yeah. Either that or an NIT championship, who knows. But that'll even be a tough task. There are some very good teams in that NIT, as usual. There's always a few snubs for the uh, March Madness in deference to... Uh, yeah, I've noticed over the years they seem to defer to teams that are near the Mississippi River. <laughs> they like the uh, Missouri Valley uh, Conference, and this year's shocker, I think, was Arkansas making it. But we won't go into the politics of March Madness. We'll plenty or of that. the illegal gambling aspects thereof. Yeah, it was refreshing to find out that uh, they're, they're actually going to pass a bill, supposedly, that uh, exempts March Madness from... Uh, a, a potential $1,000 fine. The office pools that we all participate in are illegal. Not all of us, <laughs> but many Americans. I wonder how much money is, is bet, lost, and won on March Madness grids every year. An incalculable sum, because virtually every workplace in America has some contest of some sort. In any event, um, March Madness... Here in America, Libby Madness is the uh, yeah the the ongoing saga of Dick Cheney. Uh, I've always liked uh, Marine Dowd's characterization of him just simply as Vice <laughs> or Dark Father yeah. too. <laughs> Darth Vader. Uh, there's a new uh, 
Nation magazine uh, cover story with uh, Cheney on trial by David Korn. It's a very good piece. It uh, goes into the obvious cover-up aspects of uh, what this trial is all about. Obviously, technically, Libby committed perjury. We won't go into that. But it's the cover-up here that's uh, the far more interesting story. And I think the trial did reveal um, sort of interesting connections between how the White House deliberately leaks and manipulates the media for its political ends. Of course, at the heart of the some of that uh, uh, sort of dirty dealing by Dick Cheney, vice in charge, uh, our good old Judith Miller and uh, Robert Novak, who's been a shell for right-wing leaks for quite some time. Obviously, the... Uh, Virtually unscathed in this entire controversy, too, has been yeah. Robert Novak. I don't know whether that's because he's an old guy that they just don't want to put <laughs> through the rigors of a trial, but uh, let's give a brain damage award out to the Rupert Murdoch connected newspapers and television networks that uh, immediately called for a pardon of uh, <laughs> of uh, I, Scooter Libby, which... Uh, I don't know, sort of brings back memories of I, Claudius. I was going to say. <laughs> I think he can write an autobiography about how he fell on his sword to protect the White House. And as for George Bush, uh, it's clear that Karl Rove was involved in the mischief. Uh, he's still in power, uh, still manipulating uh, all sorts of things. Uh, he's starting to be implicated in the... U.S. Attorney uh, Albert Gonzalez right. uh, scandal that's starting to percolate, and it's interesting that there are now some Democratic senators calling for his resignation. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that, because um, the Democrats now have subpoena power and investigations are underway. But as for the melodrama of the trial itself, I think it's fascinating that uh, I, Scooter Libby, <laughs> I love that, um, <clears throat> his lawyer at the end in the closing argument, said, give him back to me. Just give him back. He was imploring the jury to uh, allow him to uh, keep custody of I, Scooter, Libby. Corn uh, writes, he choked back a sob, responding to Wells' melodrama Fitzgerald, who was the special prosecutor, argued to the jury that, quote, Libby stole the truth from the judicial system. Your verdict can give the truth back. And I immediately thought of the movie Shane. <laughs> Shane, come back, come back. <laughs> that was on TV recently. Was it? Yeah. Oh, part of... Uh, TCM. Yeah. Uh, Great stuff. But I don't think there's any question that this was kind of a strange trial, to say the least. Uh, a strange investigation. Give him back to me? Yeah. It sounds like uh, some sort of thwarted love interest. With... Um, High drama, indeed. An aid of Dick Cheney involved. One never knows. There seem to be a lot of love interests that the uh, leading Republican candidates uh, seem to be um, entangled in. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, basically this was a cover-up. A uh, cover-up about how the uh, the White House, and specifically in this case, uh, the vice president's office, specifically operates with their panoply of uh, aides and uh, people that are into... Um, shall we say, character assassination. Mm. Uh, fascinating thing. The details of the trial itself, I think, really at the end of the day were sort of mundane. But I think the mere fact that uh, 
Dick Cheney deliberately uh, leaked information to Judith Miller, which, interestingly, she didn't publish, uh, unlike the so-called weapons of mass destruction uh, controversy. Just uh, simply didn't work for uh, the White House in this particular case. And once again, George Bush, hollow man that he is, uh, nobody has uh, been fired uh, in this sordid affair. And, you know, for those who are calling for a pardon already of I, Scooter, Libby, do so. I mean, it's such an insult to the entire, you know, judicial system itself to suggest that a, a pardon should be forthcoming. This trial and the preceding investigation were conducted at, uh, you know, untold man hours and at great cost. And all really that has resulted is a scratching of the tip of the surface that pretty much we all knew was going to reveal insider operations and corruption and manipulation of the media. And sure enough, that's what's been determined. Um but as you say, nobody has uh, been fired. Nobody has resigned. <clears throat> it's, uh, in a way, kind of serving as something like a show trial. I mean, Rove doesn't have to take the stand. Uh, not even Novak has to get involved. Nor so, Cheney. And it's yeah. amazing because uh, the uh, lawyer in question, Wells, uh, at one point, and I'm reading here from Korn's article in the New Nation, the brand new uh, copy, the uh, March 26th edition, claimed in in a December 29th court hearing, Wells declared, quote, we are calling the vice president, unquote. Um, And uh, this... uh, But what? (laughs) Never happened. Uh, And and nor did the calling of Karl Rove, who clearly uh, was involved in lying um, as Corn writes, the Libby trial presented evidence that at least three White House senior aides, Rove, Libby, and Ari Fleischer, press secretary wow. at the time, of the leak, had spilled information about the Valerie Wilson's uh, classified position at the CIA. This was how the White Bush White House operated, and Rove and Libby apparently did not tell McClellan the truth. In other words, they lied to Scott McClellan, mm-hmm. uh, subsequent uh, press secretary who uh, continued to defend Rove publicly, and uh, as usual, Bush is AWOL. Of course, he's down in Colombia and Guatemala (laughs) on his goodwill Latin American visit, trying to... uh, It's a little unclear why he's down in Latin America. Well, again, it's more puppet show theatrics. Mm -hmm. Um, There has been an overwhelming and pretty resilient uh, trend towards political leftism, socialism in uh, varying degrees uh, and supported popularly. And so I think it's an attempt uh, to find somebody down there uh, to do a photo op with Bush. Um, Picture on today's Financial Times of him with uh, Brazil's president. Um, it's kind of hard to, yeah, kind of hard to scare up uh, sympathetic uh, leaders uh, down there at the moment, and of course the <clears throat> ever amusing uh, Hugo Chavez uh, will get his jokes in where he can. Bush, in an attempt to respond to this article here, says taunted by leftist President Hugo Chavez, President Bush insisted the United States is not neglecting Latin America. And celebrated an alternative fuels pact with Brazil as proof. 
Well, I think in many respects, if you know much about America's uh, history of involvement in Central and South America, neglect is probably the best that the Central and the South Americans could hope for. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> Usually it's uh, armed intervention. And uh, covert operations and uh, all sorts of black bag operations. But Bush's comment in response is, uh, it means well, clearly, but it's language that deconstructs itself pretty readily. Uh, quote, I don't think America gets enough credit for trying to help improve people's lives, close quote. Um, it's a simple matter of conflating the good nature and generous spirit of the American people, which clearly has been proven time and time again, with the tendency towards military, industrial, hostile mentality types of the corporate world to utilize the machinery of the United States government to uh, better exploit or more fully repress the will of the actual human beings who live in Central and South America. That's the unpleasant reality of the history of American relations. And the interesting thing about the comment, by the way, is it's it's very analogous to Bush's uh, sort of mystical belief that the Iraqi people uh, deserve to thank us for invading right. their country. Um, this was one of his main um, mindsets shortly after the statues fell in Baghdad and indeed in the uh, New York Review of Books. I mean, it's uh, a mistake of a concept for an actual physical thing. Yeah, and, and in the, the uh, New York Review of Books, uh, March 15th article by Peter Galbraith, The Surge, which is basically an analysis of The Surge, Something we'll get to in a second because, as usual, the devils are in the de or the details are in the devil or vice versa. <laughs> the devil is in the details, and I think the details are in the devil in this case. But Bush famously said, and I'm quoting here from uh, Peter Galbraith, he said, Well, I don't think that we didn't do a better job. This is Bush English, by the way, or that they didn't do a better job. I think I'm proud of the efforts we did, speaking about Iraq. That sounds like confidence. I'm proud of the efforts we did. We liberated the country from a tyrant. I think that the Iraqi people owe the American people a huge debt of gratitude. That's the problem here in America. They wonder whether or not there is a gratitude level that's significant enough in Iraq. Oh, that's the problem. That's why people don't like the war anymore, because the Iraqi people haven't said thank you. The gratitude level. It's, it's, it's just remarkable. I don't know what to think. It's just, I don't know, it's foggy thinking. Um, Boy, it makes you nostalgic for Reagan in, yeah. in strange ways. Well, it, it's very Reagan-esque in its English, um, but uh, that's uh, very typical of... President Bush's thinking, and he continues to think this, and of course, uh, over the week, we, you know, I heard this initially Wednesday night on the BBC radio report that uh, they were reporting at the time that General Petraeus, the new uh, <clears throat> man in Baghdad, so to speak, uh, is uh, requesting more troops in addition to the surge. Uh, he specifically wants support troops and... Uh, uh, military police. Uh, he was talking about 8,000 additional troops. And on cue, uh, while out of the country, down in Colombia, which, uh, by the way, I think is the fourth largest recipient of American military aid. And has been so for over 12 years. Quite some time. Uh, 
it's always uh, nice to know that we're involved in supporting right-wing death squads in our hemisphere, in our backyard. Well, there's that legacy we just mentioned, right. But, of course, the Colombians uh, need to thank us, too, I believe. <laughs> not sure that their gratitude level has been sufficient. <laughs> I'm Maybe not, if we pay these right-wing militias to uh, destroy more crops, uh, who knows? I'm not getting my thank you notes from those folks down there. <laughs> but once again... How the, rude. Yes, how rude of them. Uh, the president's aides uh, announced this weekend that Bush had formally approved the deployment of 4,700 more troops to Iraq on top of the 2550 or 21-500. Uh, troops that were already being sent of uh, as part of the surge, and an additional 3,500 to Afghanistan. Uh, they are requesting an additional 3.2 billion dollars in additional funding, in addition to the supplemental funding. Uh, so this has uh, just uh, been. Nancy Pelosi has received a letter from the president <laughs> requesting even more money. It's starting to sound like Vietnam. Uh, Westmoreland again? again and again, even though we got them on a run, <laughs> and we're going to smoke them out of their holes. Um, there's not even any jungles to burn down with Agent Orange. What will we do? I don't know, but Shane, please come back, <laughs> come back because uh, the this- surge is going to need some heavy, heavy marketing. Now, of course, when the war began. I forget which insider in the Bush team it was who kind of blithely announced that you don't begin a new marketing campaign for a product in August. You wait until a certain time of year. That was Andrew Card, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Um, Chief of staff. At we're going to need some heavy marketing for Surge Plus or Surge with Ginseng or however this new Surge product will be sold to the American people who... Let's face it, the newspapers are getting more and more filled with articles about amputees. It's finally starting to kick in the uh, you know abuses and failures and incompetence and yeah, the support the troops uh, bumper sticker yeah. or yellow ribbon or People whatever are you want to call it. People choke on those. I oh. think the power of pride. Uh, you don't really see many of those anymore either. <laughs> People finally figured out that problem. But support the troops. Uh, means many things. And, uh, of course, the egregious failures of the military system to support the needs of the badly wounded and the maimed and disfigured, etc., are now on show, too. So, there and, you go. Yeah, I mean, the recent Walter Reed, uh, um, shall we say, scandal, that, that continues, by the way, too. Yeah, from Abu Ghraib to Walter Reed, it's... Uh, not pleasant. Produce corpses is one of the top uh, um, Wiley, uh, or Kylie, I think is his name, the, the Surgeon General of the Army, who formerly was in charge at uh, Walter Reed, was forced out today. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting that Robert Gates actually is uh, starting to emerge as a product himself, Mr. Clean. <laughs> <laughs> he can clean not only toilet bowls, but he can clean out the flotsam and jetsam of the Pentagon, apparently. That is one big stinky mess. But, uh, you know, who do they bring out of the closet to conduct an investigation into our veterans uh, and Army hospitals? But good old Bob Dole. (laughs) I am kind of curious whether the shelves of the Army hospitals are going to (laughs) remain uh, full of Viagra. (laughs) Never know what will happen when Bob Dole comes into town. 
That's right. But uh, yeah, these beers better look out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> remember those ads? Britney Spears. You know, I have a little item about her that's uh, fascinating. <laughs> In fact, I'll just uh, read it right now. Since we're... Bob Dole needs the needs the work, no needs doubt. The work. Um, but they have this great little item from the uh, March edition of the Columbia Journalism Review. Wow, she's made the Columbia Journalism Review. It says, number of uh, reporters, seven, for a five-paragraph story, week one, uh, June 5th, uh, January 15th, about Britney Spears' new man in People magazine. <laughs> it's good to know that seven hardworking journalists are on the job <laughs> to produce. On the case there. Hey, uh, but it's well, not Bob Dole. No, apparently not, but you never know. Yeah, if you get rid of that nasty haircut, I'll... <laughs> put on this wig, <laughs> put baby. A, if you can put on a wig like Elizabeth, uh, maybe we can be in business. Uh, I doubt but that. <laughs> thought of Bob Dole and Brittany is uh, very appealing. Well, you know Bob Dole is going to be a good, loyal teammate, and he's going to say the right stuff and look the right way and close the right eye and... Firmly clasp that pen and uh, sell it to the people that uh, he's looked into it, and it's going to be different now. And somehow blame the Democrats for all the wars of the 20th century, as right. he famously did in a, pre a vice presidential debate back in uh, 1976. But, um, yeah, more fascinating um, public relations uh, Associated with good old Dick Cheney, Dubai. Uh, in ah. the news, once again, Halliburton is moving to Dubai. Well, how interesting. And um, convenient. The editorial in the same aforementioned Wall Street, or excuse me, Columbia Journalism Review, the March-April edition of uh, this year, has a little uh, story about Dubai. Uh, they write in the editorial, and this is an unsigned editorial, it's true that the celebration of Dubai at the latest, as the latest greatest spawn of globalization has reverberated throughout the U.S. media in recent years. Indoor skiing, no new taxes, no taxes. Um, then they cite a couple of journalists that have been uh, extolling the virtues of Dubai as part of the globalization situation. But uh, the Columbia Journalism writes this. What dimmed Dubai's media star was the release last November of a scathing report by Human Rights Watch on the medieval plight of half a million migrant construction workers uh, that the rest of uh, Dubai and the United Arab Emirates demand. Those workers, mostly poor, illiterate, men from India and Pakistan, Bangladesh, and Sri Lanka, take on crushing debt to get to Dubai on the promise of earning good money, only to find themselves trapped in dangerous jobs without their passports, which are routinely confiscated by their employees, upon arrival for the duration of their one- to three-year contracts. And with their promised wages dramatically reduced and often withheld for months at a time, they live in squalid, employer-run labor camps that are forced and are forced to work in temperatures that can exceed... 130 degrees. As a result, according to the report, hundreds of construction workers die each year in the United Arab Emirates slash Dubai under unexplained circumstances. And there is evidence that many more, perhaps as many as one a week, commit suicide 
rather than return home to the shame of having been swindled. So what we have here is a glitzy, shining city on a hill, to paraphrase uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, who stole it from one of our founding fathers, as I recall. It's some biblical fantasy (laughs) reference to Jerusalem. I think it might have even been Tom Paine. But um, this is, you know, the glitz is what the mainstream media will show, the reality. And this, by the way, was um, shown a little bit in the movie Syriana, these these sort of tent cities where these construction workers are housed. And it's... uh, it's, it's sort of almost modern slavery, and uh, this is what's going on. This is probably why Halliburton is moving uh, to Dubai. Yeah, look at those low, low labor costs. I mean, you can actually rip off the guys who are working for you and, who knows, uh, sell their passports. Where they can, yeah, and maybe Dubai, Dubai should be renamed uh, We Sell. We Sell. Yeah. We don't buy, we sell. <laughs> Uh, yeah, any illusory fantasy land. I mean, it's the middle of the stinking desert, right? I mean, sure, there is. With indoor skiing. With indoor skiing. I mean, that's a complete illusion uh, beyond even Disney World. You know, it's got to be based on exploitation and somebody's squalor. I mean, that's just, it just ain't natural. And by golly, there's Dick Cheney going down the slope. <laughs> that's right. It's a good way for him to work out the blood clot in his leg because sitting on those long flights to Afghanistan and back, apparently are difficult for the old boy. Well, from indoor skiing to um, outdoor melting, I see you've got a clipping on this too, but uh, a recent article about uh, kind of a debate about the fate of the polar bear, Mm -hmm. and there's some interesting aspects to this. It might seem relatively superficial. Um, Some speakers, this is an article by Ann Sanner from the Associated Press, some speakers said at a recent... uh, gathering a public hearing to discuss whether or not the U.S. government should list polar bears as a threatened species. Uh, She writes, some speakers said scientific evidence supports the listing and urged the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to adopt protections so polar bears would be present for future generations. Um, However, the counter-arguments are rather interesting, too. Um, An environmental minister for the Nunavut Territory of Canada says they are not endangered uh, we have an abundance of them at the moment. They are not threatened in our area. Well, he may have other ideas in mind because one of the concerns about putting the polar bear on a endangered list is that the hunting industry supports local economies, and uh, Patrick Netzer represents just such an economic outlook. I think environmentalists are really interested because the polar bear would make an ideal poster boy for the rather difficult-to-grasp concept of global warming for lots of people, apparently. And even if what Netzer says is true, if there are plenty of an abundance, actually, of polar bears in the Nunavut territory of Canada, at any rate, polar bears are an element of the food chain, and the links beneath them in the chain are really what's most endangered. Mm -hmm. The fish, the small, uh, the plankton and so forth, this stuff seriously is on the edge. And and if the fish and the plankton go, then these larger mammals and so forth, it's just a matter of time before they're toast. Um, The Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, oh, wait a minute, here we have uh, Richard Krause from the American Farm Bureau Federation dismisses the... uh, information here which is in arguing for 
protecting polar bears. He says, rather than basing the proposal on direct scientific observations, the service bases its proposal on speculative predictions and assumptions that may or may not be valid. Well, of course they're speculative because they're projections. Mm -hmm. And they are the reading of tendencies uh, to look for future trends. Uh, this is not the sort of thing that you can afterwards say after the polar bear are in serious decline to say, oh, whoops, looks like we were right. We should have done something because by the time it becomes that obvious, it may in fact be already irreversible. So um, it's something to take serious. Well, it is. And I think that the polar bear is an interesting uh, candidate for extinction because um, – they are at the top of the food chain, so to speak, in the polar regions. I remember once CBN had a little uh, introductory, uh, you know, one of our mass meetings, and people were asked uh, what, if they could come back to, uh, reincarnated as an animal, what would it be? And I said the polar bear. I think I was the only one. It's not a bad life. It's uh... And I, I picked the polar bear because it's, it's really uh, an unbelievable creature i mean it's it's majestic and don't be fooled as it being a poster child because uh when people find out that it uh its main <laughs> interest in <clears throat> food is baby seals uh it's not a inviting <laughs> thought but they are the ultimate uh creatures of prey but they are magnificent animals and of course in an upcoming scientific uh conference in Belgium later this month, or maybe possibly next month, it's a little unclear, uh, and this is an Associated Press article from yesterday. Uh, they are reporting, by the way, that polar bears soon will literally have no habitat. Uh, this is predicted, projected by 2050, and they will mostly be found in zoos. This, of course, the scary elements of this concern, uh, by 2080, hundreds of millions of people could face starvation. And, of course, it focuses on the water problem globally. Um, of course, the positive benefits that they claim are going to occur in the forestry and some improved in transportation in polar regions. Those are the benefits. The downside is the ocean and coastal ecosystems and water resources and coastal settlements, which I don't know what the statistics are, but if you look globally... It's unbelievable. That's that's where people live. Um, they live near water. They live. Oh, it's like uh, near four fifths of the world's people yeah. live on the water. Yeah, and uh, as much as we love the people in Kansas and the red states here in America, they uh, don't represent the majority of us. But unfortunately, our environmental policies over the past several decades, alas, have been dominated by the likes of James Inhofe, who's actually from Oklahoma. But uh, this is scary stuff, you know, 2080. Between 200 and 600 million could go hungry because of global warming's effect. Um, 100 million people could be flooded by 2080 by rising seas. We're talking here about big American cities, too. Yeah, uh, not just uh, Bangladesh. Florida's... Uh, Oh, those beaches down there that, that the students here at the University of Michigan go to for spring break may not exist. Well, Washington, D.C. itself in 100 years could become flooded in 100 years. New York is potentially vulnerable. So this is serious stuff. And alas, the administration's uh, recognition of this problem is, is neglect.
Yeah, I mean, it's quite a stretch to say that one upside of global warming is that we'll have better access to travel in the polar regions. Um, perhaps it's uh, uh, an area for further development. And of course, by 2050, this is the sh- this is some of the shocking stuff. 